In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very So I invite you to just notice your next breath. Allow that breath to go a bit deeper. And the next breath after that to open your heart, activating that divine heart center. The next breath activating that divine core, that second chakra a couple inches below your navel point. For the body has three centers of intelligence, bringing that energy down through your legs and feet and your mind's eye imagining silver cords that ground you into the earth, connected beautifully and powerfully. As I affirm and know, inviting you to allow my words to be your words. There's one life, one infinite divine activity, one presence, everywhere present, and also present in and through and as you and I. So that one life is our life. And as we come together and affirm that and we come together in create this, this sacred space by the sum total of our, our heartfelt caring and generosity of spirit and awareness and consciousness that invites the highest and most beautiful possibility, the realization, the understanding and the depth of connection with spirit like never before. And so I'm grateful to know that this gathering today, this moment we spend together, this time together is productive and valuable, informing and inspiring us, planting seeds in this moment and each moment hereafter that allow us to move forward in our lives productively and in a way that has a creativity and an opportunity that not only blesses us and those we love, but the entire world, for there's no private good. And so on this beautiful Mother's Day, the nurturing, this divine energy, in gratitude for the mothers that gave us birth, and for all of the wonderful teachers and insights and awarenesses that have also given birth to new ideas, new possibilities, and new ways of being, I give thanks. For all the blessings that we celebrate that have allowed us to spend this time together in this activity, I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. Awesome, awesome. Happy Mother's Day. And thank you, Sparrow and the guys. Awesome to have them here with us today sharing their light and music, Justin and Chris. So we've been using this great book, Stop Saying You're Fine, by Mel Robbins. And Mel is an amazing um, writer and, uh, and speaker and somebody that's out in the world, a mover and shaker in ter- terms of inspiring people. As the subtitle says, the no, BS guide, the no BS Guide to Getting What You Want, which is belief system. That's what BS means, of course. And I also want to make it clear right now, I was accused of wearing an orange shirt today in celebration of the elections. I'm wearing a coral shirt today, and it had nothing to do with the elections, but it was the cleanest and most available in the closet. So, But someone came up to me and said, wow, you're really celebrating the election, aren't you? And I said, anyway, just wanted to set that straight, okay. 
So I'll wear a blue one next week, as a matter of fact. So the divine feminine. The divine feminine is, has been in, um, identified as an intelligent and loving energy, an intelligent and loving energy that contains the qualities of intuition, which Dr. Holmes, our founder, said was the highest capacity in, in mankind because it is direct communication with the divine. So our intuition is a different language. It's a different uh, form of communication. Intuition, compassion, as the Buddhists would say, to suffer with, emotion, creativity, empathy, collaboration, spirituality, holistic thought, and right brain thinking. And so that energetic is alive for all of us. It's a given. You know, the, the perfection that, that we talk about in terms of there's one life, that life is perfect, that life is my life now, that is the, that the depth of our soul. We all, we all have this soul aspect of ourselves. And that soul aspect of ourselves cannot be diminished. It cannot be in any way, shape, or form anything taken away from what it, it, it is and, and how we, uh, we uh, relate with it. But what happens is we also have many other aspects of ourselves that we layer over that. And so Mel's, Mel Robbins' book is a, a look at a lot of that. So today we look at the ways the, the, our brains can betray us. And so there's three things that she points out in this particular uh, area of the, the text that I was uh, uh, referring to today. The first one she talks about is anti-actions. The next is fake limits. And then there's other ways that our brains will betray us. And it's really quite uh, interesting because last month we were talking about and discussing Michael Singer, the last two months, Michael Singer's book, The Untethered Soul. And his practice was when that chatter starts, when that busy mind shows up, to have the discernment and the awareness to either lean back from it or, or grab onto it. But he, he recommended that to always lean back from those thoughts of lack, limitation, and fear. So anti-actions can look like this. We feel we deserve a raise. We've got a job, we've got a great job, or we've got a job we don't like so much, but we feel like we're really entitled to a raise, an increase in pay. And so what might happen is that we'll, in, in, in fact, knowing that and moving with that intention, then the activity may be, well, you know what, I'm not appreciated here. I'm going to give less I'm going to show up and I'm going to be, I'm going to give the bare minimum. I'm going to show up the last minute. I'm going to leave right at 4.30 or whenever, you know, the, the, the agreements are. And then I'm going to even give less, which is completely counterintuitive and, and counterproductive to this idea of being deserving. Or the idea of getting in shape, of really moving in, in a way that allows uh, you and I to be more uh, physically fit. And what will happen, as she points out, is many times people will make that, make that, have that idea and then they will get so busy in their lives that there's no room for it. Uh, you know, there's too many things going on for me to get up and, and, or to, for me to schedule that into my, uh, my week or my day. Or we decide to restart a career. Perhaps we've been, not been in the job market for a while. Perhaps we've been mothers that have been raising children. But we'll find everything and anything to do rather than pursue that. And so we'll find ways to distract ourselves. And it's the way that part of our brain can sabotage us, take on the anti-actions. I'd like to do this, but first I've got to wash the car, and then I've got to rake the lawn, and then I've got to, and all those things can be important. But many times the activity, the great poet David White said for an, a writer or a poet is the, 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 um, the, the, one of the great terrors in their life is to never have their, their, their studio where they write will eventually be completed because they won't have that distraction anymore. Oh, I gotta put this bookcase up, I gotta move this over here. And so it's one of the ways that our mind works to inhabit in the anti-action. So our unconscious automatic processors have some shortcomings. And that's part of what uh, is such a beautiful articulation in the book. 
It says our mind is always scouting all the incoming signs from the outside world and trying to make predictions about what might happen next, all in order to maintain a high level of safety and a reduced level of risk, that somehow we are threatened, something that our, our well-being is, is first and foremost, and when we move outside that, that status quo of comfort, there's a sense of uncertainty. But we're all wired that way. New behavior is always uncomfortable. If your mind can kill a great idea by dampening it with emotional turmoil, it will. If your mind or my mind can kill a great idea by dampening it with emotional turmoil, it will. It's just the way we're tripwired. So part of waking up, part of being alive and aware in our lives is understanding when that starts to happen. It's a huge practice. It's a very powerful practice. So the trick is to give, as we talked about last week, there's a, there's a resistant you and there's a powerful you. And so the trick, as she said, is to give the powerful you control of your actions. So even though that conversation may be going on, that uncertainty may be happening, but to simply say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to stand in my powerful you and I'm going to do this despite it being uncomfortable or inconvenient or the uncertainty that, that's wrapped around that. To allow the powerful you and I to override, as he descri- or she describes in the book, the chicken, the jerk, or the wet blanket. Three, three of our uh, capacities that we can act from. So the chicken doesn't want to do anything. Or the jerk can become cynical and, and, uh, um, and, and criticize. And then the wet blanket. Everybody ever felt a wet blanket? But so those aspects of ourselves that we can act from or say, you know what, I'm going to stand on my power here. I'm going to empower myself. And she talks about faking our confidence. A faking confidence can be really, really powerful. And people don't know. To just simply do something, even though we're uncertain and we're, we're tentative and to move out in, in faith and courage. If it, was, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And so to move out in confidence. So our, our fake limits is we listen to our brain and the propaganda it spews as if it is God talking. And that's a huge awareness. That's a huge part of our journey on this, this spiritual path because many times we think our intuition is that still, that little chatter in our head and that's not our intuition. Our intuition is at a deeper level. It's a feeling tone. It's a, it's a gut knowing. It's sort of that mother's intuition. You know, you've heard many, many stories of the mother that knows something's up with her child or something's happening. And not, just, not just women, but, but men as well. But it is that intuitive, deep conversation. That is, that is the intuition. But that chatter many times we can, we can uh, interpret as, oh, that's God talking to me. We must tune it out if we want to turn on the powerful you. It is a constant battle between your game-changing thoughts, the possibility and the opportunity, or that idea that, well, yeah, I'd like to do that, but I don't feel like it today. So all of a sudden, because we don't feel like it, we don't do it, as if that's an excuse. Fake limits can be feeling tired. Beautiful, beautiful work in this book talking about feeling tired. That, that, and, and the trick with this is it gets launched by the anterior cingulate cortex. The anterior cingulate cortex. I didn't even know I had one of those until I read this chapter. The anterior cingulate cortex. And that's the brain cooking up false limits. And the reason we have that is she says, and, and research is not just she saying it, but the research that she's pulled into this, is because back when we were in, in our, our survival was contingent upon being safe, when there were, there were lions and tigers and bears and there were poisonous snakes and all of those things, and when we were running for safety from the tribe that was attacking or whatever it may be, 
There was a limit there that if we, if we went into it and didn't have this mechanism within us, this anterior cingulate cortex, we could die from exhaustion. So what happens when we start new activities, we start exercising. I talked about last week climbing the steps at the Hotel McDonald and how, uh, what, a, what an interesting challenge that was for me. And I was a little dizzy for a while after that. And, but it's all good now because last week I announced that and then about six people were giving me advice as I stood in the back around it. And I love the information, but I, I, I was just using it as a, a random example and I'm fine, believe me. But the point is, is that there's, we're, we're hardwired for that. There's a part of us that will tell us we're tired, to slow down, conserve energy. Don't, don't wear yourself out completely. We must, as she says, def- defy our feelings. So to look at our feelings and say, is this true? Is this really true for me? And she also talks about getting what you want never feels like you think it will. Getting that goal, getting the dream, achieving something, it never feels like you think it will. I've talked to you many times, my, part of my history is, is being, going to Los Angeles, being an actor, and um, one of the wonderful things about that is I had some success with it. And my mindset going into that was that, geez, if I achieve this, everything will be solved. All of my problems will be solved by achieving that. And I, would, I got a job, and then I got another job, and I got another job. And I was always the cop. I always played the cop or the soldier. I never had big jobs, but I had nice jobs. But it never, it wasn't what I expected. It didn't solve everything. All of the unbroken, the, those, those gaps in my own beingness were still there even after it. And it was kind of frightening. It was like, wow, I thought this would take care of all that. It didn't take care of all that. But so once a, a prime example of getting what we want never feels like what we think it will. And then pushing through, simply pushing through. She said, we just have to push through these things when it shows up and not buying into the story. I had a neighbor that used to have a bumper sticker. I'd see it every day and I used to agree with it. It would say, don't believe everything you think. And that's a prime example of what she's talking about here. She uses the story of Ellen, a woman that wanted to to, uh, start doing yoga. And so Ellen went to the yoga class for the first time and she didn't have the proper yoga gear. She had her old sweatpants and a a top that wasn't uh, the Lululemon of the, the day and felt a little uncomfortable. She didn't have the wardrobe, and then she felt a little out of shape, so she was a little embarrassed by the size of her figure at that point in time, and then she also had really struggled this 90-minute session with doing the yoga. And as she sat there trying to do the positions, she sweated more and more and more, and so she had this whole thing going on in her head that she was ready to get up and leave at any moment. And then as the, the puddle of sweat got bigger and bigger, she said, okay, if the, as soon as this puddle of sweat is beyond my mat, I'm gonna leave. And so she had all these little triggers and mechanisms in place so that she could finally get up and say, I can't do this and I'm not going to do this, but she pushed through the 90 minutes. And 10 years later, Ellen has her own uh, yoga studio. And she tells the story of, interestingly enough, is that she still has a resistance. It's always there. There's still that little voice that shows up and says, who are you to do this? And, And so it's just pushing through it. You don't think these musicians go through that when they get up to sing? I mean, it's that they practice and practice and practice and still resistance can show up. But it's fascinating to know that we never are done with that, no matter how far along we are. But the awareness to manage it better and to push through it and realize, wow, this is no longer alive for me. And the other piece about it is this powerful long-term effect it has on us. We start to build the the, the, um, emotional and spiritual stamina to move forward in bigger and bigger ways. 
and to be more productive and to be more, I think, more beneficial to the world. Starting to say yes to unexpected impulses that want to take you somewhere. And she says, give yourself five seconds. So if you have an impulse to take you somewhere, give yourself five seconds to do something to act upon it, to trigger it and, and ground it. Because it takes, as, as she says, it takes a lot of work to stay stuck. There's a lot of energy in maintaining the status quo. It's a tug of war. Part of us has eyes on the dream and another part is battling against the dream. Anybody feel like that or is that just me at times? You know, it's just going to be too much work. Oh, we do that. Oh, that's going to be a lot of work. Oh. I had to do that with where we've done a lot of work around facility and, and possibilities. And there's part of me that I get up on certain days and go, I don't want to talk about that. Oh, that's way too much work. We're fine. And then I realize, no, no, no. Why, why does that have to be like that? Why can't it be fun? Why, not, why can't we play in this rather than make it more work? But it's such a shift in perception. And it's just, it's my choice. The staying stuck tools, we have caution built in. That mechanism that says don't push too hard because you may exceed your level of energy and you may collapse and die, that, that, that mysterious thing that, you know, I mean, with all great athletes, you see it all the time with stamina, that they, they have that ability to move through that. I mean, it's one of the common denominators of, of elite performance physically on the planet. They push through that. But it's also that, so it's that, that mechanism that tells us not to push too hard. It's also... Caution. Caution is a great ally. Because what happens if I go there? What happens if I do that? I don't want to expose myself. I don't want to get my heart broken. I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to disappoint somebody else. So caution is, can be so prevalent within us. Caution is a, a great ally. Once again, our chicken and our jerk can be very loud. Our instincts don't want to give up. Our instincts simply don't want to give up. And that's that part of us that wants to protect ourselves. And once again, to push through it. Our brain is like an emergency room on a Canada Day weekend. Very busy. There's emergency after emergency after emergency. And all of the worst case scenarios, scenarios get our attention. Well, if I do this, what if the car breaks down? What if the, the, you know, they're endless. They're endless. And so all of a sudden, all the things of these great ideas that we thought we might pursue or the one great idea we might pursue, it's too much work. It can put us in harm's way. I'd rather stay in the, in the relationship because when, when, when so-and-so is not in their addiction and being abusive, they've got a heart of gold. You know, just the best. They just stop drinking and, and being angry so much, they've got a heart of gold. So that 10 minutes a day, they've got a heart of gold. But we stay there because it's, and you see it over and over again. I talk to people all the time when they, they're challenged with relationship or they're unhappy with the job. Well, it's easier to stay in the job because you know you're, there's a certainty there. And yet that divine discontent to move out into something more interesting, it, that idea will pop up and then we come up with all the reasons not to pursue it. So the, the Buddha said 2,500 years ago, question all of it. He said, do not believe in anything simply because you've heard it. Don't believe in anything since you, because you've heard it. Don't believe in anything s simply because it's rumored or spoken by many. And do not believe in anything simply because it's found in your religious books. I mean, that's a challenge, especially in the West. Because we have so many, we have the Bible. And so it's like, hmm. But for all of us, for us to do our own critical thinking, our own investigation, is this true for me? Does this lift me up and move me in a way, in a direction that, that's, that brings me alive and is of the benefit of others. 
He continues, do not believe in anything merely upon the authority of your teachers and elders. Do not believe in traditions because they have been handed down for many generations. I mean, we just saw that this last week with the elections. There was a certain, was a certain group that, had, that was in, in power for a long time. And all of a sudden, for a variety of reasons, I mean, it's always right action. There's been a shift and change in consciousness. And all of a sudden, a new idea has been being brought forth. But that's the nature of life. There's a season, a reason, or a lifetime. But after observation and analysis, when you find that anything agrees with reason and is conductive and good to the benefit of one and all, then accept it and live up to it. I mean, that's our work to do. As, as metaphysicians on this planet, as people that we encourage, it's not about you coming in here and me imposing upon you the way you need to think. It's about, um, it's about imparting information and understanding and, and the trust in oneself. It's not what to think, it's how to think, to think for ourselves. And we all have unique gifts and talents. We all come tripwired for certain gifts that want to be expressed. And we have these layers of resistance that she's talking about. And so what I love about it is I get an opportunity doing this work to look where I, I shut myself down. Where am I limiting my opportunity to be more out in the world and to be more um, creative and productive and in service to that greater yet to be? Which I think is such a, a powerful and potent thing. Your gifts are unique. You don't share your gifts. Nobody else can pick them up and bring them every one of us we must question as the Buddha said we must question all feelings and signals you know, that brain and understanding okay we're tripwired for caution we're tripwired not to push ourselves too hard physically to, to take care of ourselves we, we, we look at the world the caution we look at the world and think it's, it's a scary place to be when in fact modern life is very safe it's very safe compared to what it used to be my gosh so, yes, of course, we don't walk down dark alleys that we don't feel comfortable walking down, and we don't go into neighborhoods maybe we would, you know, that we, we understand that we use our discernment. But that just becomes something, but caution cannot lead the way. I don't do this because I'm afraid is not a good, uh, good, good enough reason. Or we worry. We worry about what's going to happen. And worry is paying debt on interest that is not yet owed. It's paying debt on, on interest that is not yet owed. Uncertainty. Life is uncertain. We'd love to know, you know, we all, this is going to be it. I'm here for X amount of time, and it could very well be. But there's uncertainty with life. Things change. Political parties get voted out of office. Price of oil goes up and down. What else? Hmm. All kinds of stuff that I don't have any control over at all. The only thing I control is my perception and my, my interaction with it. Anxiety. This free-floating anxiety, that free-floating anxiety that's so popular with people. I mean, do you know how many antidepressants people are in this, on the planet right now? I've, I've read statistics. It's thousands upon thousands upon thousands like never before. And so when we manage this better, when we, we have awareness around the spiritual practice, this is where the practicality of it meets the road. When we manage it better so that we don't need the chemicals to calm ourselves down, but we realize, wow, that's my anxiety being triggered. Because we're all tri we are so tripwired for strength and, and sustainability and the, the, the spiritual and emotional and physical maturity. You know, we have traumas. We have things that show up in our lives that throw us off, the, take us off the rails. But within a couple of days, if we get a couple of good nights sleep, 
we get a little bit of exercise, we take care of ourselves a little bit, it comes into balance and we manage it. Otherwise, we would die. Has anyone here died from trauma or crisis? See, nobody. It's self-evidence, you're still here. It's like the guy, one of my favorite stories is the story of the guy that, he's a construction worker and he goes up on the high rise and he's, I've told it a number of times but I'm gonna tell it again. And, and so he's having lunch one day and, and, uh, and his name's Luigi and Luigi looks at his coworkers and he says, oh, another salami sandwich, another salami sandwich for lunch. I can't eat another salami sandwich. I gotta have something different. So this goes on for three or four days and he gets more angry and upset, more and more upset each day. And finally on Friday afternoon, he opens up his lunchbox. He says, I can't take it anymore. And he jumps off the, the, uh, the top of the building and he falls to his death. So they call his wife and they bring her down and she said, what happened? And he said, well, you know, Luigi, he got really upset because he had the same sandwich every day. And finally he just couldn't take it anymore. And she said, well, yeah, but he made his own lunch every day. We're making our own lunch. But it's true. So we get nervous. Feeling nervous is not a red flag warning you of danger. Nervous means you're about to do something new. I showed a beautiful uh, video here a couple weeks ago about that uh, young lady, McGonagall was her last name. I can't remember the first name, but she talked about that. How if you believe stress is bad for you, it's bad for you. If you believe stress is, is, un, you know, is unhealthy, it's unhealthy. But the people that manage it well say, man, oh man, I'm nervous, this is great, I can't wait. Ooh, I'm gonna do something new. This is fabulous. It's stretching me in every way, shape, and form. Nervous, feeling nervous is not a red flag warning you of danger. Nerves means you're about to do something new. Feeling nervous is part of the program. So expect to feel nervous. It is a signal to step on the gas, not on the brake. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. And the other ways that we, we uh, create these barriers, these self-imposed bar- barriers, we're married to this idea that we don't want to lose anything. The status quo of what exists and we don't want to lose it. When in fact, studies show that once we buy something, once it's ours, it always increases in value. She tells the story of the people going and picking out a puppy out of this big litter of pups. And that one puppy that they pick is without a doubt the best puppy in the litter. Why? Because they picked it. You buy a home, doesn't matter what the market's done, it goes up 20% in value. So this idea that we, we're married to the status quo. The other idea is no one is coming. No one is coming for us. It's up to you and I. No one's coming to save us. We're here to save ourselves. I always love that about this teaching. I don't have to save anybody. I don't have to convert anybody. I just have to convert myself and live that. Let my life be my message, as Gandhi said. You must be the change you wish to see in the world. The best time to act right now. So you're planning a diet? You're planning a diet? You're going to start it on, a mo- on Monday morning? You're going to go on a, uh, a health kick or whatever it is? Because you wouldn't want to start it on a Friday because the weekend's coming. So why, who, who would start a diet on a Friday? Huh? It'd be crazy. Start it right now. Just start it right now. She says, give yourself five seconds to act on something. The best time to act is right now. And then predicting the future. We love to predict the future because we want to know how it's going to work out. She talks about focalism, which is focusing on the primary event. We focus on the primary event. I'm going to do this. I'm going to change jobs. I'm going to move into this career. And then we start thinking about all the trouble it's going to be. When in fact, what all, think about all the joy it's going to be too. All the newness of it. Move into a new, new city. Oh, it's a hassle. You've got to park the car. You've got to find a place to live. You've got to find a job. You've got to meet new people. All that stuff. Yeah, but look at all the excitement and joy and possibility. 
So it's so powerful to carry that with us. And the psychological immune system, as she says, we are stronger and more resilient than we realize. She talks about her, as a little girl, her grandfather would take her out on the boat, and she'd say to her grandfather, what if we sink? What if we capsize? And she would go on and on and on, and her grandfather would always say, Mel, anything can happen. Anything can happen, but it probably won't. I mean, that's, you know, that's wisdom. That's a grandfather's wisdom to say, yeah, 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 it's easy to grab onto those things, because he knows. He probably did the same thing when he was little. That's the that's benefit of being a grandfather and having some wisdom and being marinated in life a bit. It could, anything could happen, but it probably won't. So pushing through means po- being powerful does not mean that what if disappears. It means you ignore them and you move forward. And we are investing in our mind. We're pushing through. When we push through, we broaden our range of experiences. We knock down the barriers that hold us back. Pushing through forms, uh, future forms of resistance so that when we come up against it again, it won't slow us down as much. We build that capacity. And putting yourself in a position from, from surviving to thriving. It all, it, see, it's there for us to help us grow. It's just like a workout pl- program. It's just a mental and, and, and uh, consciousness workout program. Matt Groening said this, if something is too hard to do, then it's not worth doing. You just stick that guitar in the closet next to your shortwave radio, your karate outfit, and your unicycle, and we'll go inside and watch TV. To grow, you have to do the stuff that feels hard right now, not later. And Neil deGrasse Tyson said, in whatever you choose to do, do it because it's hard, not because it's easy. Math and physics and astrophysics are hard. For every hard thing you accomplish, fewer other people are out there doing the same thing as you. So you want to separate yourself from the pack? Choose the hard things that you're called to, that you can build the capacity to do this, the work that you're called to do. That's what doing something hard means. And in the limit of this, everyone beats a path to your door because you're the only one around who understands the impossible concept or who solves the unsolvable problem. We're all capable of that. But when we keep being married to the status quo and to the fear of loss and to the caution, the anxiety, the trepidation, we give very little room for that in our awareness and it just limits us. And then we all suffer. We all lose because we've bought into that. There's a wonderful story in this book by Mel. She talks about her daughter who's 11 years old and her daughter gets, gets invited to a um, birthday party. And it's a paintball party. And so she says, she gets the invitation, she's 11 years old, she opens it up and she says, paintball, it's co-ed? It's outside in the woods? We have real guns? What if I get hurt? And who's on my team? And all and on and on, all of the, you know, reflecting that thing, the, the voice. So on the day of the party, she worried all week, the day of the party comes and she runs up into her room and locks herself in the door. She locks the door and locks herself in the room. And Mel says, luckily for her, she's only 11 and she still has a parent like me on this Mother's Day. God bless mothers. She still has a parent like me to, to bully her past her fears and into the car. She cried the whole way to the party. And when we pulled into the driveway, 10 kids were standing around waiting for her to arrive so they could leave for the paintball field. She sucked back the tears, got out of the car, and sheepishly walked over to the four other girls who were standing off to the side. I heard one of them scream, Sawyer, Sawyer I'm so glad you're here. I'm terrified. 
So am I. I almost didn't come, said Sawyer, but she just pushed through her resistance by admitting it. When we picked her up five hours later, her clothes were spattered with paint, and she was exhilarated and, and talking a mile a minute. The guns were huge. Check out my hand. I got pegged right here by Jeremy, and it still hurts. Kate hit Chris in the head, and he started bleeding. <laughs> Mr. Craig was amazing. He tagged everyone. On and on she went about the day in the woods, firing paintballs at boys, taking hits, and ducking for cover. Underneath the enthusiasm, I could hear something even cooler than the 11-year-old who had just had a great time. She felt proud of herself. That's such a great story, such a great example of having resistance about the something that we haven't done before and pushing through it and be willing to be uncomfortable and the joys that come out of that. Such a simple little example, but so powerful. So on this beautiful Mother's Day, you know, it really is about the mothers that gave us birth. And it's so, you know, I, I texted my brothers and sisters. My mom is now in an uh, assisted living facility and she's not, doesn't have a telephone. So, but my, my uh, seven sisters and they're all you know, in high relationship and around her. And I said, please tell mom happy Mother's Day when you, when you see her for, for me. And that's a beautiful thing. But it's also about parenting ourselves. It's also about nurturing and parenting ourselves and pushing through because maybe our moms aren't around anymore to push us or come and get us out of our rooms. We have to do it ourselves. So the divine feminine energy it's a, is an intelligent and loving energy that contains the qualities of intuition, compassion, emotion, creativity, empathy, collaboration, spirituality, holistic thought, and right brain thinking. And those are our opportunities and to be able to confront our fears and those things that we've carried for a long time that no longer serve us. So let's set this, this energetic of what we've shared today. And uh, Sparrow's going to be back to, per, to perform another song. So what I invite you to know is once again, looking within. And as a result of our discussion today, as a result of coming together, I once again recognize in the appreciation and gratitude for the power and presence of spirit in my life. I know that something powerful and beautiful is moving in and through and as myself and you in this moment. And it's so powerful and beautiful and potent when it is invited because it needs our invitation. So I just give thanks knowing that we carry this awareness and these ideas forward in a powerful, beautiful way. I celebrate this beautiful Mother's Day in gratitude for all the gifts that have brought me and you together today that supported us and loved us and nurtured us. And now it is our opportunity to continue that legacy by nurturing ourselves and those around us that we influence. So in great gratitude and appreciation, I know everything necessary for you and I to understand in this moment is made clear. And together we say, and so it is.